John chapter 6, verses 49 to 58. This is the word of God. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Will you pray with me? Father, as we bow, we need you to open your word to us today. Only you can make us see the truth of your word. Only you can get us past the imagery that's so hard. Only you can awaken souls that need life. Only you can encourage our souls with the gospel. And I pray you'll do all those things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but some foods are more healthy than others. My wife's been trying to tell me this. I don't believe her. They say that some foods will shorten your life and some food choices might help you live longer. Well, in our text for today, without us getting into a discussion as to what food we would rather have or whether living longer is worth it, today Jesus is going to talk to us about food, spiritual food, and he's going to show you exactly what the food is that you need to have life, true, everlasting life. Some people will receive this with joy. Some people will ignore it to their eternal destruction. So we're going to study this passage here. We're going to find four points. If you're a note taker, I want to write points down. I will tell you now, not one of these points is believe in Jesus. They all are in one sense, just so you know. They all four have to do with believing in Jesus, with the gospel, with eternal life. Let me tell you, if you've never come to faith in Jesus, if you're not sure what I'm talking about even As weird as this text of Scripture is that we've come across today, listen well, because here's what I'll tell you. I will tell you how you can have the life that your soul needs. And if you already know Jesus, which is most of you, I want to encourage you. There are some beautiful pictures of the benefits of the gospel to be found as we look at a sermon we'll call Eating the Bread of Life. So the passage we're studying today This is the latter portion of what we call Jesus' bread of life discourse. 
Let me remind you of what's brought us to where we are because it helps a little bit. At the beginning of this chapter, John let us know that the Jewish Passover celebration is in the background. And yesterday in the biblical timeline, Jesus performed two miracles. He fed a crowd of 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, with one lunch in a secluded location. And that miracle reminds us of God during the Exodus feeding his people when they were in the desert by using something he called manna. I think manna is a great word because literally it means, what is that? Some of you have probably eaten manna of your own at some point in your life. Well, Jesus also walked across the Sea of Galilee yesterday evening, reminding us of God leading the people through the Red Sea to safety during the Exodus. And now we're at today in the timeline. The crowd that ate the miraculous meal, they crossed over the sea in boats. They wanted to find Jesus, and they caught up with him at the synagogue in Capernaum. And at that point, a conversation between Jesus and the crowd of religious folks began. And that conversation is carried on through what we'll study today and, Lord willing, through one more of these messages. The crowd wanted Jesus to do another miracle. They wanted Jesus to feed them a little more miraculous bread. But Jesus pointed out they're really missing the point. They wanted physical bread, but Jesus says they should be wanting spiritual bread. They should be wanting what will give them spiritual life. Back in verse 35 and then again in verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus identified himself that he's the one who came down from heaven to give life to all the people who will come to him. Jesus said in verses 37 to 40, he showed us that there's an eternal plan of God in which God the Father sends God the Son to the earth to rescue the people that the Father gave to the Son before the dawn of creation. And the ones who would be rescued, they're the ones who would come to Jesus in faith for salvation. And Jesus said that he would grant everyone who comes to him eternal life and he'll raise them up on the last day. And then in verses 41 all the way through 48, last week's message, Jesus showed us that mankind is incapable on his own of desiring him or coming to him unless they're drawn to him by God the Father. But all who are drawn by God are those who are taught by God, who find life in Christ. And Jesus made it really clear, nobody on earth has seen God except the one who came to earth sent by God, which of course is Jesus himself. So, in this conversation, I'll just let you know already, Jesus says things to the religious people around him that bother the religious people around him. Just so you guys know, Jesus tended to bug religious people. Um, that could be comforting to some of you. And Jesus said some things that gave people real hope. Some people who heard Jesus would believe him. Some people would grumble and gripe and complain. And today that gap is just going to get wider because Jesus is going to make it clear that he is the only way you can have eternal life. And he's the only way you can have a relationship with God. So, for you note takers, point number one. 
Jesus is greater than the old covenant. Jesus is greater than the old covenant. You do not have to use mathematical notation for that, but if you want to write the greater than sign, it's fine. Look at verses 49 to 51. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. All right. One of those things I'll say that I'll know we all agree with. In our society today, we're dealing with inflation. True? What? Things cost more than they did this time last year. Gas may cost you a little bit more than last year, right? Cars cost more if you can get them. Electricity costs more. Food costs more. So I want you to imagine a contest, a sweepstakes, if you will. And I want you to imagine that the grand prize is this. Free groceries for life. How many of y'all would be very happy to win that prize. Here's the thing. All of us would like it, and the ones who have the bigger families would like it even more, right? Yep, yep, yep. Throughout the passage, Jesus has been using a little figure of speech, referring to himself as the bread of life. Now, let me let you guys in on a secret. Jesus is not a piece of bread. Neither do we eat Jesus. But Jesus here knows that the crowd wants bread that would sustain them physically. Jesus knows that the crowd is fascinated by that provision of manna in Exodus. Jesus knows that these folks, they would love free bread for a lifetime because then they would be like, man, Jesus, if you give us free food, we can feed an army of Jews and we'll throw off the rule of the Roman Empire and we'll make you a king. So Jesus is going to take the bread metaphor to the extreme to show these people how much they're missing the point. Verse 49, Jesus points out that the forefathers of the Jews ate the manna in the wilderness. And boy, they'd be like, yeah, they did. And then Jesus points out, and all those people died. Of the entire generation of adults that walked through the Red Sea, you play with me. Who crossed the Jordan of the entire adult generation that made it through the Red, that walked through the Red Sea? Which one of them crossed the Jordan too? Joshua and Caleb. That's it. All the generation of adults who lived on the wilderness, uh, the manna in the wilderness died, and all the children who grew up eating manna, yeah, they crossed into the promised land. The manna ceased, and that generation died like every other human generation has died in the past. Here's what Jesus wants you to see. Manna, this miraculous bread from heaven, it is not the bread of life. That's the point he's making. Manna doesn't make you live forever. If you could discover a secret stash of manna, if Indiana Jones dug up a whole box of it, it would not make you live forever. 
manna points you toward the bread of life. But the bread of life is something that when somebody eats it, they live forever. You got to wonder when Jesus said, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Did he point at himself? Certainly, in the next thing he says, Jesus makes sure that the crowd understands that Jesus is calling himself the bread that came down from heaven. Better than the manna, this bread makes you live forever. Then in a startling statement, Jesus said, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, folks, we're mixing the metaphor a bit, don't you think? All of a sudden, we're talking about flesh. All of a sudden, you've got overtones of sacrifices here. In John 5, all the way through John 10, the miracles and the discourses of Jesus are set against the backdrop of Jewish holy days. Chapter 5, the Sabbath was the setting. Here in chapter 6, the Passover is the setting. And when you think about the Passover, you should think about the Exodus. If you think about the Exodus, you think about walking through the Red Sea. You think about walking around in the wilderness. But the Passover also should make you think about the night when lambs would die so that people could live. A lamb would die so that your whole family could survive. Jesus said, I will give my flesh so that other people might live. He, Jesus, would be the true sacrifice that brings life for the people of God. Just like physical bread keeps people physically alive when they eat it, physical food keeps you physically alive when you eat it. Jesus says, I'm going to give my flesh to be a sacrifice to give you spiritual life, to give you eternal life for everyone I'll save. Early on in the gospel, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. He used sacrificial language. In John 1, 29, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, if you don't get this, if you don't know your Bibles a little bit, this may be hard, but in the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant law, a lamb might be slaughtered as a sacrificial substitute. And the picture is, though my sin should cost me my life, the lamb dies instead of me in my place. But all the lambs that died in the Old Testament, they point to the actual sacrifice that pays for the sins of everyone God would ever forgive. Here, Jesus is letting you know, Jesus will lay down his life. He will give his flesh. He will die for the sins of others so that they can live. Now, before we see how the religious leaders respond to this statement from Jesus, I want to have you set in your mind two contrasting thoughts. Put the manna from heaven on the one side, the bread of life on the other side. Put the Passover on one side, Jesus, the Lamb of God, on the other. Put the Old Covenant on one side, the New Covenant on the other. Put physical life on one side. Put true spiritual eternal life on the other side. God wants readers of this part of the Bible to realize that the New Covenant in Jesus is far superior 
to the old. The Jewish people had wonderful holy days. They participated in wonderful festivals that have tremendous spiritual significance. They had the tabernacle. They had the temple. Both of those things point to heaven and point to the work of Jesus to save people from their sins. But without Jesus coming and instituting the new covenant, not one part of the old covenant would have meant anything at all. The Old Covenant kept the nation of Israel alive. It preserved them. God preserved them as they look forward to the promises of God coming to pass. But the New Covenant in Jesus fulfills the promises of God. Back in the Old Testament, God promised a forgiveness that would come. In the New Testament, God says, I have accomplished that forgiveness in Christ. As the manna only pointed to the bread of life, so the old covenant points to and promises what God does in Jesus. You ever read the book of Hebrews? The whole book of Hebrews is about the supremacy of the person and the finished work of Jesus. The author of Hebrews shows you Jesus is God, not just a mere man. He is superior to the angels, superior to Moses, superior to the Levitical priesthood, superior to the sacrificial system. Hebrews doesn't pretend that the new covenant is new as if it is utterly unrelated to the past working of God, but the new covenant is new in the fact that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all the requirements for righteousness under the law of God And he perfectly pays the price for the sins of everyone he forgives. All the law, all the sacrifices, all the holy days, all the Old Testament point to the work Jesus perfectly accomplishes. Now with all that said, what do you need to see? Jesus is superior to the Old Covenant. Jesus is greater than the manna. He's greater than the Passover lamb. He's greater than the parting of the Red Sea. Jesus is greater than physical bread. He's greater than free groceries for life. If you come to Jesus in faith, Jesus gives you forgiveness and everlasting life with God, and it's worth far more than any groceries you can get. Now keep going. Point number two. This is really important, and it's right here in the Word of God. Refusing Jesus leads to death. Refusing Jesus leads to death. Look at 52 and 53. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In John 3, when Jesus said, you must be born again to see God's kingdom, Nicodemus missed the point. In John 4, when Jesus offered the woman at the well living water, the woman missed the point. And in both cases, Jesus was speaking symbolically while the other people tried to take him literally. Here we see the same error. Jesus has said his flesh is the bread he'll give for the life of the world. 
and the religious teachers around him are being foolish, either they're intentionally misinterpreting what he's saying, or they're so thick as to think that he is somehow connecting salvation with cannibalism. Now, right here you might think that Jesus, being a nice guy, would make this a lot easier on the crowd. You'd you'd expect Jesus to say, No, fellas, you're taking me far too literally here. Um, Jesus does not clarify for them. In fact, Jesus doubles down. No, Jesus is not talking about us physically eating anything at all. Don't let yourself get confused. But Jesus knows he's about to say something the teachers aren't going to like. And he doesn't back off it one little bit. We get a double truly from Jesus. You know what that means? It's going to be true, what he's about to say. And it matters. Then Jesus points to eating his flesh. He calls himself the son of man. That ties to Old Testament prophecies of the promised one from God. You guys know where you find son of man, like the clearest one in the Old Testament? Obviously, Ezekiel uses that word a lot, but in Daniel 7, 13, and 14, listen to to the words of the prophecy. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So in case you don't get it, when Jesus calls himself the son of man, he's telling you he is the rightful ruler of the world. Then, just in case Jesus hasn't gotten far enough under the collective skin of the religious leaders around him, the Savior adds a line about not only eating his flesh, but drinking his blood. This would have pushed these people over the edge. Why? Well, first of all, it's gross. But second, part of the Old Testament law includes that you are not supposed to eat or drink blood. People were forbidden to eat meat before draining the blood. Black pudding was not a thing for the Jews. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Or don't, it's nasty. In Leviticus 17, verses 10 and 11, the Bible commands, If any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourns among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So what do we conclude here, friends? Is Jesus telling the religious teachers around him that they have to violate the law of God in order to be saved? No, that's never been the way of Jesus. What you've got to recognize is that the Savior is obviously speaking metaphorically. Jesus did not think his body was a piece of bread. He's not calling people to physically drink his blood. Honestly, Anybody paying attention to the words of Jesus through this discourse, they ought to be able to see what Jesus meant. Because what has he told us all along? 
What is required for eternal life? What do you have to do to live forever? John 6, 29. Jesus answers, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Faith in Jesus is working the works of God. That's what makes you live forever. John 6, 35. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So verse 35, it's clear. How do you get the bread that feeds you forever? You come and believe. That's how you eat the bread of life. No physical eating here. John 6, verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Look at Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's how you get life. Your diet has nothing to do with it. Aren't you glad? John 6, 47 and 48. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Again, believing is the issue that connects you to the bread of life. Let me make a quick doctrinal point. Because I don't want you to be confused. All of the bread of life talk in John chapter 6 has nothing to do with communion. Doesn't it, don't you just expect a wonderful communion sermon right now? It would be, except that's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, when Jesus says the, the, that, that what he gives for the life of the world is his flesh, that that's the bread, the Greek word for flesh there is a word, a word Jesus never uses in connection to communion. He uses a totally different Greek word. Jesus is not talking here about physical bread of any sort whatsoever. He's not suggesting to you that any person can get any grace of God because he eats, drinks, or touches something. Do you understand, friends, that, that there are other religious folks out there that believe that the grace of God can be imparted to a physical substance and then given to you, and if you touch that substance or taste that substance or eat that substance, that it gives you, it buys you some grace. That has never once been biblical teaching. And that is not what Jesus is teaching here. This passage has nothing to do with communion. It certainly does not teach the Roman Catholic Mass. It just doesn't. Yes, this passage may remind you of communion. And communion is good for your soul. It's not telling you that participation in an eating and drinking ceremony is what buys grace or forgiveness. So what is Jesus' point right here? Jesus' point here is that if you are put off by Jesus, if you don't want Jesus, if you refuse to believe in Jesus, you refuse to eat the bread of life. And if you will not believe, if you will not partake of Jesus as the bread of life, the Savior is saying to you in verse 53, he says, you have no life in you. Refusing Jesus leads to death. Trusting in Jesus, figuratively speaking, is eating the bread of life. It is getting the reward of heaven forever. Refuse Jesus, to refuse to come to him, to refuse to surrender to Jesus, that leads to death, which is spiritual death. It is hell forever. And you've got to believe this. Believe that ignoring Jesus Believe that refusing to trust Jesus is deadly. 
honestly, refusing Jesus is like looking God in the eye and saying, God, I demand that you punish me for any sin I've ever committed against you. Do any of y'all want that, by the way? You want that bargain? Ask yourself this question. How much punishment would I deserve if God gave me what I deserve for sin? Yeah. If God is infinite forever in his perfection, my sin falls forever short of God's goodness. Thus, the punishment that I earn for any sin against God is a forever punishment. It is eternal hell. That's what I deserve. That's what all of us deserve. So I would say to you, please, oh please, do not refuse Jesus. Third point, receiving Jesus leads to life forever. Receiving Jesus leads to life forever. Look at verses 54 and 55. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. A moment ago, Jesus showed us the negative side. To refuse him is to refuse life. Here, he's going to show you the positive side. The one who eats his flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life. Don't let yourself be grossed out. That sounds nasty, but it is a metaphor. We already saw what it means to eat the bread of life. It is to come to Jesus in faith, believing. The person who comes to Jesus in faith, believing, he says, has eternal life. He says he'll raise him up on the last day. The fact that Jesus brings us back to this raising people up on the last day stuff, that shows us that we're talking about exactly the same thing as we've been talking about all along. Verse 39, Jesus said he would raise up on the last day all the Father has given him. Verse 40, Jesus said he would raise up all who look on him and believe. Verse 44, Jesus said he would raise up the ones drawn to him by God the Father. Here, the ones who eat his flesh and drink his blood are the ones he will raise up on the last day. Thus, to live forever, to eat the bread of life, you believe in Jesus. Yes, Jesus says his flesh and blood are true food and true drink. Not physical food and physical drink. They're the food your soul has to have if you're going to live. You refuse Jesus, it brings you death. You believe in Jesus, it brings you life. Eternal life, heaven forever with God. Do you believe? Have you entrusted your soul to God's care? Have you, have you asked Jesus for forgiveness based on his life, his death, and his resurrection? Jesus says, if you believe, you have present tense right now, continuing on forever, have eternal life. You were dead. God made you alive when he drew you to Christ. And you will have eternal life because Jesus will raise your body from its grave and he'll transform your body into an everlasting body that'll live with Jesus in glory forever. That's pretty good, right? Think back to what John said at the very beginning of this book, and we read it this morning. John 1, 12, and 13. But to all who did receive him, 
to all who did receive him. What does that mean, John, to receive him? Who believed in his name. What happens? He gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Receiving Jesus, taking him into your soul the same way you take food into your body, leads to having forever life with God. But refusing Jesus leads to death. And so I urge you again, believe, receive Jesus, have life in Jesus. Now for many, this sounds like an evangelistic presentation. I surely hope it does. The gospel's right here, isn't it, folks? You and I have sinned against God. We deserve the judgment of God. Jesus came to purchase a people for God and to give us forgiveness that leads to life forever. If you refuse Jesus, you will die forever. If you believe, you have eternal life because of the grace of Jesus. If you've never come to Jesus, the whole point so far should be believe in Jesus. And if you already believe, what do you think the point is for you? Well, I would hope, first of all, that you are encouraged as you remember what Jesus has done to save your very soul. And as we move to the final point here, I want you to see some beautiful benefits of being saved by Jesus. Point number four, receiving Jesus unites you with God. Receiving Jesus unites you with God. Look at verses 56 to 58. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me He also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Can I just say, this is is the good stuff. And you may not feel it because you've been sitting there too long. Wiggle if you have to. But don't miss this. I even texted one of you guys this week to find out, make sure you're going to be here because I thought you should, you'd enjoy hearing that. So, all right. In verse 56, we get a new word the Savior uses. He's talked about raising us up on the last day. He's talked about giving us eternal life. Now the Savior says that one who believes in him, who receives him, who eats the bread of life, that one abides in Jesus and Jesus in him. When we are lost, our sin separates us from God. Until you've been forgiven, your sin separates you from God. When we have Jesus, our sin is forgiven. But we get something greater than just having our penalty taken away. We get Jesus. The loving, glorious, sweet Savior lives with us. He lives in us and he lets us live with him. We get a new home. It's Jesus. And Jesus makes his home in us. 
Consider yourself, Christian. You know your failings, right? Are, are any of you blind to the fact that you have failings still? Now, you know the ugliness of the sins you still sometimes fall into. You know how much you used to deserve hell. But dear brother or sister in Christ, look at what the Savior says. When you believed in Jesus, Jesus came to live in you. He forgave you. He granted you the gift of heaven forever. And he chose, willingly and joyfully chose to come and make his home with you. Jesus loves you. Jesus no longer looks at you as a sinner at war with him. He looks at you as his beloved and he dwells within you. How glorious and mysterious is the new connection we get with Jesus? Look at verse 57. Jesus refers to his relationship with God the Father. Jesus brings us back to thinking about the mystery of the Trinity and the glorious eternal plan of God to save Christian you and me. And the Savior says, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Something about the eternal life you get in Jesus should call to your mind the relationship of God the Father to God the Son. Now, no, 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 no. Jesus does not deify you. You're not going to become a little God. You're certainly going to become a big one. He doesn't make you part of the Trinity. But once you're saved, you're in Christ. Christ abides with you, in you, and the closeness that our souls have to the God who saved us is closer than any human closeness imaginable. God loves us. God brings us to himself. God becomes our true home. God becomes our true family. In verse 58, then, Jesus closes this section up just like he opened it in 49. There, he said, the manna did not give people eternal life. Only Jesus, the true bread of life, makes you live forever. Only Jesus, God the Son, the Lamb of God who paid for the sins of the world, can change you from sinner to saint, from enemy of God to beloved child of God. Your home used to be apart from God with the devil in hell, and now your home is with Jesus, abiding in the Lord, living eternal life, looking forward to resurrection and joy-filled heaven forever. Jesus is the bread of life. He's greater than the old covenant. Refusing Jesus leads to death. Receiving Jesus leads to life forever. Receiving Jesus unites you with God. If you haven't believed, believe and receive Jesus as the bread of life who will change you and your eternity forever. If you have believed, commit yourself anew to loving and living with Jesus. Be grateful. Be joyful. Live in a new identity, abiding in Christ for the glory of God. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, as we bow, as we prepare to sing, God, I pray, 
that you would work mightily in the hearts and lives of all of us that we would see the genuine joy of being redeemed, of being forgiven, of abiding in Christ. If anybody here has not surrendered their soul to you coming to Jesus for salvation, I pray that today you will not let them sleep until they let go of self and sin and turn to Jesus for grace. And for all who know you, I pray you will give us hope and life and joy forever. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.